When I lay down at night, if I can close my eyes and tell myself, did I make the best decision for my clients with the knowledge I have today? And if that answer is yes, then you know what, I'll sleep pretty good at night. But I, I could not lay down and sleep if I knew that I made a decision that wasn't in my client's best interest. Welcome to episode 158 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have Evan Crow, who's president and owner of Crow Built Homes uh, in Atlanta. And he and I met formally uh, in person at the CBUSA conference in Boston. So we dive into CBUSA and the benefits. So for you contractors listening, feel free to reach out. We can get you introduced to the group. Uh, more importantly, Evan spoke about QR codes and how he's utilizing QR codes for his business, for his clients, for the experience of building with his trade partners and subcontractors. And then also the Matterport, how he's used this. And again, as we think about you know him as a business owner, as he grows from a one-man operation to now hiring additional people, what do you look for? You know, how does that come into play with the mentality of abundance and also just accounting to retention to all the things that we deal with running our business? Great contact with Evan. He's a great builder. Take a listen. Without further ado, let's get started. This past May, we had an amazing Contractor Coalition Summit. This was in Nashville with Nick Schiffer from Menace Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style out of Minnesota. And we are now up for our second round of the Contractor Coalition Summit that'll be in Huntington Beach from Sunday, November 6th through Wednesday, November 9th. Go to ContractorCoalitionSummit.com, sign up, register. We have some amazing partners that'll be there sponsoring the event, amazing attendees that have already signed up. It's limited seating. We're only allowing 30 to attend. And again, this will be all things pricing, profitability, contracting, client expectations, scheduling, and of course, marketing and social media. Everything that we wish we knew in our business from the very beginning is all going to be wrapped up into just a couple of days. So we'll see you there in Huntington Beach in November. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt and we have Evan Crow with us today. Welcome, Evan. Hey, Brad. How's it going? Good, man. I'm excited to have you on. So Evan is president and founder, owner of Crow Built uh, Homes there in the South in Atlanta, right? So, and we met... Um, well, I mean, we've known each other through social media for a while, but you know, one-on-one time there at the CBUSA conference in Boston, which is a, a co- contractor buying group. So I guess maybe before we start there, you said some interesting things at the conference I, I want to pick your brain on here. Uh, but how did you get involved with CBUSA? Uh, actually, we're um, a member of the Southern Living Custom Home Builders group uh, as well. And one of the other members of the group um, just brought it up in conversation uh, told me about CBUSA and the opportunities there and said, Hey man, come get it, give it a shot. You got nothing to lose. And, uh, you know, at first I was a little hesitant cause we're, we're pretty loyal to our trades and vendors. And, um, you know, part, part of the group is kind of taking advantage of, of the group buy with, with some other vendors. And so we're slowly uh, working our way into it, but man, it, it's been extremely valuable, um, for us. So what what's the difference? You said Southern Love Southern Living, right? Buyer group. And so I guess what's the difference? And maybe just a little background for those listening. CBOSA and I was introduced. So they have their chapters, right? Every area has a chapter and they have two things. They have essentially like collectively, CBOSA, I think we're what? They add up, I don't know, a thousand builders roughly around the country. Number and we seven have purchasing power together. So collectively we're like the Yeah, number seven in the country in comparison like DR Horton and Lennar and some of these big players. And so it just allows, you know, we have national contracts and then our local market contracts and there's, you know, vendor participation and suppliers that, so it gives us buying power, you know, rebates helps us with, you know, pricing and customer satisfaction and just the whole network, right? The contractor network, but that's the quick background CBSA. So anyone interested, reach out, we can, you know, have, you know, introduce you to the group. But as far as Southern Living, what's that, Evan? I, I haven't even heard of that. Well, uh, you know, Southern Living Magazine is, is pretty big in the South, um, and uh, Meredith Media, who now owns Southern Living, has, you know, other magazines across the country. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Southern Living, there, there's certain plans um, that that go along with the Southern Living uh, kind of theme. And uh, we have we also have sponsored products kind of like CBUSA. Um, it's not uh, really like a, a buying group or anything advantageous in regards to um, pricing or anything. It's more. Uh, you know, again, networking with a great group of builders, uh, it's pretty uh, exclusive. They they invite you. Then um, again, we learn uh, about products before they're released. Um, we, you know, get to speak with a lot of other architects and designers that are in the group. 
Um, we have a conference once a year, uh, similar to what we were just at, Brad. Um, and it's, it's good marketing, you know, uh, to be honest, I can't say that I've, um, I can't think of any builds offhand that have came directly from Southern Living, but, uh, it, it's a great group of builders, designers, architects, um, like I said, vendors, uh, di different products. And it's something we're proud to be a part of. Um, you know, like I said, it, it's kind of a big deal here in the South. So, uh, we're, we're happy to be a part of it. Well, it's interesting. I mean, just I know Southern Living Magazine, which I'm familiar with, and any of those publications, maybe there not be a direct lead, at least that you're you're aware of. I mean, there could be, who knows? But it's just like anything, right? The marketing. I mean, being in different platforms in front of different demographics, and that's from like the different social media apps to like print media. You know, your network, like it it expands that network. All these different things that who knows? You know, it's just that constant um, repetition, like to be in front of people. You know, exactly. many times on different you know, aspects that definitely helps the client base. Exactly. You know, they've, they've got a, a big presence on social media, you know, in the back of, um, I can't remember if it's every magazine or, or certain issues, but in the back, there's a list of builders. If you go on their website, there's a list of the builders. Um, and, you know, they, they share, share one of your photos on, on Instagram and it gets in front of a couple hundred thousand people. I mean, that can make a big impact. Yeah, it does. I, I I love that. That's still the benefit. I mean, I still have a lot of clients that, you know, still want that tangible product, right? The print media. So they get the, you know, the mailings from, you know, some of these different publications and they love that. So, you know, that's something we still can't, you know, move everything digital. But um, going back to, you know, the conference, we're sitting in Boston, I'm sitting there with you at the table and you really sparked my interest because I'm like, Evan, we need to get you on the podcast just for this specifically. You talked about QR codes. And many of us, you know, are familiar with QR codes and, you know, especially with COVID, you go to a restaurant and, you know, their menus like take the QR code and then you pull up the digital menu. How have you applied QR codes, you know, to the construction industry? Well, you know, at the conference, a lot of the guys um, that are that are building spec homes and have model homes, we're talking about having them uh, in those homes that may show, hey, this is what paint color we used in this, this room or, or different products uh, in, in that regard. Uh, we build mostly custom homes built to suit. Um, so the way we've been using it is uh, for our trades on site. You know, Brad, we may send out the construction plans, the site plans, the cabinet drawings, uh, many of these different files we send to a project manager with one of our trade partners, but <clears throat> it doesn't uh, always trickle down to the guys on site. So uh, one way that, that we found to quickly and easily do so is is just printing off QR codes. And, you know, I got this idea. I was visiting with a buddy, Austin McKinney, uh, McKinney Builders. He's, he builds just south of Atlanta. Um, then he's got a killer operation. And, you know, I, I we pulled up to one of his jobs and I, I ran over to the porta potty and I opened the door. And the first thing I see on the door is a piece of paper with all these QR codes on it. <clears throat> and, you know, I come out, I'm like, hey, tell me about that. And, uh, you know, it's it's got, like I said, the plans and all these different files. And, the great thing about it is, you know, some of our some of our construction plans, they may be 50, 60 pages, you know, and you add in cabinet drawings, designer files, you know, all these different files. And I mean, we're talking hundreds of pages. And if you're printing all that out, you know, in a full set of plans, not only are we talking big dollars, but, you know, you may be on site and one trade has it on the other end of the house or uh, they, they get wet and muddy. Um, but just printing out a, a single eight and a half by 11, you know, that's not costing you much. So uh, it's easy to update quickly. So, you know, I have a template. It's a PDF template. We use um, just a free online QR code creator. Uh, put the QR codes on there for all the different files, print eight or 10 copies, throw them in a plastic sleeve and put them throughout the house. Uh, now, you know, your homeowners come on site, they can scan it to pull up the plans if they need to. And now there's no excuse from any trade um, if they can't find our superintendent on site or if they can't get us on the phone, I mean, they've got all the files there that they need. So let me ask you this when you're, as you mentioned, it could be a little cumbersome, right? With some of the projects we do, especially in the custom world between the plan set, the design book, you know, could be landscape architect, lighting plan. I mean, so many different, uh, elements and designs and everything we're trying to integrate right into one build. So, you know, we can upload those things digitally, like and build a trend right on the cloud. And we have the full plan set, cabinet drawings, appliance specs. When you're doing the QR code, maybe you're in 
a bathroom or maybe the kitchen or one of the bedrooms, are you, does that QR code uh, go to the entire plan set or are you specifying it, you know, to that area specifically? So like if I go to the QR code and maybe the primary bathroom is just going to pull up all the elevations, cabinetry of that bathroom. I mean, how systematic or, or concentrated is it just on that area? Of the yeah, home? see, we haven't got that far into it yet. Um, this is honestly fairly new to us. Um, once I stole this idea from, from McKinney, uh, you know, we've been trying to implement it and figure <laughs> out, yeah, you know, figure out yeah. the best way <clears throat> to do so. And, you know, I mean, we still may print out uh, certain elevations for specific locations. Um, and, and that is a great idea, Brad, to break this down even further, just see how far we can take this to really make sure. Because again, to your point, you know, if you've got 50 pages in a set of construction drawings, um, in all reality, sometimes our trades, uh, I don't know if they're, they're just being lazy or, or they may not know exactly what they're looking for, but sometimes they don't spend the time to find the correct page. Um, and, and actually, you know, uh, there are, there have been a couple instances where we have, um, separated specific pages and put, uh, created a QR code just for those pages for that detail. Now, what's the feedback been? I mean, as far as doing the QR codes, I mean, how's that been received, you know, from your trade partner base? They love it, man. You know, to say they use it, um, I can't say that every one of them uses it, you know, but Hey, you put your logo at the top, it's additional branding. Anytime a client walks on site, the more, the more they see your logo, the more they see that, uh, you know, you care about their job. And um, th the same with your trades, you know, it gets a little bit more buy-in. If, if it looks like you're going an extra step to provide them with what they need for them to be efficient and, uh, and hopefully make more money in the end, you know, not just a quality product. That's obviously the main goal is, is to take care of our clients. But, um, you know, our trade partners are out there trying, trying to make a dollar every day too. And, uh, you know, right now everybody's busy. It's, it's hard to get the right guys on site because you've got other, other builders you know, scheduling them as well. And if, if they see that working for you is, is a little bit easier then you know, they're going to prioritize you in that way. It's interesting because at the conference, you had mentioned that, you know, in the meeting we're in about the QR codes and something that kind of, um, you know, stuck with me is that you and I don't do like production homes. We're not, you know, coming in and developing a community with a model home. Uh, but it was interesting. There was, you know, there's a lot of builders that do in our CBUSA, you know, uh, collective group here. And one of the builders was saying, well, what's great about the QR codes, especially as they have a model home, we all understand the production process and mindset. And what happens is, you know, their sales agents may forget, you know, what's standard, what's included with, you know, the house. And so in their model homes, they're putting these QR codes all throughout the house. And so any buyer can come in, walk the house and they can, you know, zap that QR code on their phone and automatically see what the standards, what's included with the purchase of, you know, the model home and then what's upgraded. And, you know, that just made me think, okay, that's a great application for the production world. And then with you, how you're using it, I'm like, okay, well, how can we refine that now even more for the custom side, you know? And I'm sure like, this is something I want to implement because, you know, going to your point, it's when you visit McKinney, it's, you know, that systems and organization, you know, has so much impact on our ability to perform as a contractor. How has that changed for you? Because you're, you are a small operation and, you know, your company's changed quickly in the last, you know, year or so. Yeah, so uh, we've been in business about six years, and it's all all been me, um, back office, on site, uh, you know, all the meetings. And, you know, I just really love getting into the details. I love being on site with the guys, uh, getting to know all the trades. You know, I mean, our jobs are super stressful um, for everyone. And so I, I want to be out there trying to, you know, crack some jokes and Obviously, I'm checking to make sure things are done right, but just kind of boost morale a little bit, uh, try and get a little bit more out of all the guys. But, you know, eventually you hit that point where, uh, you know, you just can't do everything um, and and still perform at, at the level that you want to. So uh, about a year ago, I brought on um, the first guy, and I, I guess we'll call him a project manager. You know, I haven't done a great job of, of delegating responsibilities to, to my team. Uh, a couple months ago, we brought on uh, another one who's kind of more in a, I guess you'd call him more of a superintendent role, but, um, we've kind of just kind of divide and conquer, uh, going about things, which is, is it's working. We're, we're putting out a great product that way, but it's not the most efficient use of the team. And, uh, right, right now I'm just trying to get all of them as much exposure as possible, uh, to all different aspects. And I guess that was my thought process behind 
the divide and conquer. That way I can kind of shift them around for what I want them to see and learn. Um, and, and then right now we're kind of transitioning into separate roles. Um, but yeah, growing is, uh, and it's scary taking on somebody else's family and, <laughs> and all their responsibilities. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. The, the, the livelihood changes everything. I mean, th- this is always a common question though, as a builder, especially you, Evan, where you're running the company, you're building, you're managing thing, you know, everything, you have this good process and, you know, but what, what changes, what switches where you're like, okay. I want to grow a little bit more. I'm willing to take that risk and hire somebody. What was it that made you make that first hire? I think it's um, not not working on the business quite enough. You know, I see I see the opportunity for uh, some more quality work that we want to be doing. You know, I firmly believe that there's more quality jobs out there than there are quality builders. Unfortunately, you know, there's guys that um, aren't putting their client first. You know, they're putting their self and, and their numbers first. And uh, I mean, yes, we're here running a business, but, you know, if you take care of your clients, um, it's going to come back around and take care of you. And, uh, you know, I felt like I was missing the opportunity um, to spend some time in the office to get the numbers right, to be able to uh, have somebody else taking care of some of the things on site that, you know, hey, I'll spend three hours sweeping a floor, but that's not where my value is. Um same with yourself. I know that you're not afraid to get in there and get dirty, but, uh, and sometimes we enjoy it. We need that, uh, little mind numbing of, of just sweeping sawdust all day, but, um, you know, getting out there and, and meeting with more designers and architects and, and, um, showing, you know, our thought process and, and how we feel like we separate ourselves from, from some other builders. You know, if, if you're on site all day, you don't have the chance to do that. And uh, I mean, gosh, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if if I had to be on site directing the trade. Yeah, it makes a big difference. And so how, you know, interview process, this is where it's really tough. How do you find talent, you know, that fits? And you mentioned this before in the telephone game. It's just not only how it applies to you as a business owner now, Evan, is that you think of it as a general contractor. You mentioned the the reason that you had the QR codes is it so you know, in that bidding process, in that contracting process, you're speaking with one person who's a representative of your trade partner. Well, typically the guys who are out in the field installing said product uh, may not have downloaded all the information or all the correspondence that you had with their estimating department or the owner of that company. And so it helps that telephone game, you know, to not lose things in translation. Well, it's no different having employees, right? To make sure, do they handle the client interaction like you would, Evan? Do they handle the trade partner communication? You know, and so that's really difficult just to like empower and delegate. What are things you look for? How did you even hire and make that first hire? So um, fortunately, you know, the the first hire, he came to me. Um, He had been a a salesman that I've worked with since the day I started my company. And um, he wasn't necessarily happy with the direction uh, of, of what was happening with his company. And and he also want, wanted to be on this side of things, learning to build. And, uh, you know, he'll, he'll eventually step out on his own and do his own thing. And he was clear from the start that that is his goal. Uh, hopefully we can keep him happy and keep him around longer. But, um, yeah, you know, he mentioned to me. And at first, I, I didn't think I was ready. I, you know, I didn't think that I could take that on. And then, I mean, Brad, you know how it is. You can get uh, two phone calls can change that. You know, two more leads come across that are that are strong. And, um, you want to take advantage of me and you need the help. So, you know, we, uh, stepped out on a limb and and made that hire. You know, I, I knew how he worked. I knew his work ethic. I knew his organization. Um, you know, this is a guy that I've talked to multiple times a week for the past couple of years. And so, uh, I knew what I was getting, um, and knew that I could teach him to, to do things, um, how we want them done, you know, whether I've done that or not, uh, that's, we'll still see, but, you know, getting everything that you've had in your head, all your processes, and you, you know, you've got to get those on paper. You you can't uh, expect them to do things how you want them if, if you're not setting them up for success. So that that was our first guy, and and our second guy is uh, another guy that I've known for quite some time. Uh, he was uh, he had been working for an electrical contractor for the past uh, I think six years, and again, somebody that uh, that I trusted, and that's the biggest thing for me, like is this guy going to take ownership in our company and uh, do things like, like it was his own home. And, um, 
that's what we got. You know, they're, they're both learning a lot. We're, we're getting them exposed to as much as we can. And, um, you know, it's working out now. I just got to kind of define their roles a little bit more and uh, go from there. Well, what's interesting, and I'm going to go back to your first hire. You made a comment about that, you know, the, you had known this person, there was some trust, you knew the work ethic, which is great. You know, they want to expand their skill set, get into the building side, which really tough from the constant theme from, you know, as I network with owners is like, okay, someone's really talented, but they may have the entrepreneur mindset or they may think I'm going to go out on my own. And they're open about that, right? Because they want to be fair to you. And there are business owners that are kind of reluctant to hire someone that knows they may be there for a short term. It could be one year, it could be 15 years, who knows? But at some point they may want to go on their own, depending on, you know, the company direction and market and, you know, the culture you build. But did you have any reservation knowing, hey, I'm going to bring someone on, teaching my secrets, if you will, or like how I run my business. Were there anything that inhibited your desire to bring them on, knowing that they may potentially go out on their own and be a competitor at some point? Uh, you know, there probably was in the back of my head, but to be honest, I, I thought it was more of a positive, you know, somebody that's ambitious and has goals and, and is going to work hard towards those goals. You know, uh, I, I like that a lot more than somebody that, you know, is just going to be lackadaisical and do the minimum and, and is not going to be out there trying to learn. Um, you know, yes, his, his end goal may be that he's trying to better himself, but it's going to be a great benefit to me in the process while he's trying to learn as much as he can, as quick as he can. And, you know, again, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, if he steps out and starts his own thing and, and is a, you know, quality, honest builder, then great. Again, there's, there's more quality jobs out there than there are good quality, uh, honest builders, uh, in my opinion, you know, I mean, that's not to, you know, I hate to knock anybody's hustle, but, um, you know how it is, Brad. You see some jobs that are that are done, uh, and, and you know the client either overpaid or was told one thing and, and got the other, and um, yeah, you, you just hate to see that. So knowing that we got somebody that uh, has goals and ambition, I, I think it's great. I love that, and it's interesting. There was a mentor of mine, and I remember early on him saying that he always looked for competitive people, and it didn't mean that they had to be competitive at sports. Like that's, he always looked at that too. Maybe they be, maybe they're really competitive at sports throughout their career, but they're competitive at business. As you mentioned, entrepreneurship. And you had the similar mentality. I've seen like really successful people, like they have the mentality of a, of abundance, not scarcity, right? That you haven't, I mean, you're looking at this like, Hey, if I train someone that's going to be a great person in the industry, well, again, we're going back to this comment that there's quality jobs, not enough qualified people. So you have this abundance mentality instead of, you know, scarcity mentality which just shows like why someone want to work with you and be attracted to your business. Right. And, you know, where does that confidence come from to know that, you know, the brand you've built, you know, who you are. And again, you could bring on another competitive person, but how, you know, that rising tide is going to raise all ships. Well, you just said it right there. I've heard you say it a bunch of times uh, about the rising tide raises all ships. Um, you know, I firmly believe that our competition is not, uh, not the other quality builders. I mean, I love to network with, with guys like yourself that are, that are here local, you know, uh, we may trade vendors and trade partners and, and that's kind of what CBUSA is as well, you know, with that group. And I mean, I just don't see that really as our competition. I think our competition is the guys that, um, are coming in low ball in numbers, knowing good and well that they're never going to hit that number. Uh, and then in the end, you know, they've got an unhappy client who says, Oh, you shouldn't build a home. It's, it's stressful. It's terrible. You know, and it puts a, um, a bad taste in people's mouth for, for going through the process. And so, you know, I, I, I believe that if, if you do right by your clients and, and you get up and you work hard and make, make good decisions every day that, uh, you know, more work's going to come. And, uh, I, I don't worry about something that I can't control. It's interesting. I mean, you, you say that and, and eventually I'm going to have some guests here that are local in my market, you know, and, um, same thing. I mean, there's a group of builders that I network with that, you know, our peers of mine that I, I greatly admire. And and the funny thing is like, probably similar to you, we network, we share good trades, we share, um, you know, good suppliers we're working with and good experiences, but I haven't really competed against them, you know, and they're pretty active on social media. So, but, but the reality is there's still enough opportunity, right? For good people. And, and I'm very similar to you with that CBUSA group. It's like a group of builders that are like-minded and, you know, if the day comes where I lose a job to one of them, at least I know that they're in good hands and that's okay, right? 
Exactly. I mean, I just had that happen recently. Uh, you know, one builder we lost a job to, and then we won a job that he lost, you know, and, um, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it happens, man. You know, and I think, like you said, I, they're in good hands. It's business, you know, that, that's going to happen. You're not going to win every deal. And, um, as long as the, the clients, because I mean, gosh, you go through this process and, um, by the time you're putting your, your numbers out or, or, um, even if it's b- before you get numbers out to them, you know, you, you build a strong relationship because I know you're like, I am, you know, you, you want to, you're going to be married to these folks for two years, three years, you know, you're going to talk to them every day. It's got to be somebody that you trust and that, um, that you're going to enjoy working with. And, you know, you build that relationship and then maybe they do make a different a decision in a different direction. And, uh, you, you want to see them happy and, and successful. You know, it, it's awful when you put in that work and then they do make a decision. And if you know that it's, it's not going to be, um, a successful, well, you think that it's not going to be a successful build for them. You know, that, that's tough. Well, it's interesting. And I, and I want to talk to you because you jumped on the Matterport thing before me that I want to dive into. But before we do that, going back to QR code, because one thing I failed to ask you is, you know, difficulty. If I'm listening and I'm like, okay, I want to be like Evan, you know, and I want to implement the QR code. You touched on this briefly with the PDF version. I mean, how difficult is it to get that set up and then maintain and run? Man, it's pretty simple. You can, uh, you know, create a, just take your letterhead and um, there's all sorts of free websites for QR codes. And, you know, you, you copy a link from the website, you post it or paste it in the QR code creator, and then it'll pop up the image and, and you just copy and paste it onto that PDF that, you know, definitely do it on a letterhead where your, your logo is there and, and then just save it as a template. And then each time you have an additional file or an update or something, um, again, you just delete that one, copy and paste the new one. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you can get a lot more in depth with them as far as, uh, you know, updating on their own and, and, um, you know, making it look, uh, more aesthetically pleasing or, or like you said, even breaking the files down, uh, into more specific files, but you know, it doesn't have to be, um, super detailed and difficult. I would say just start out with, with whatever you can. I mean, any effort is going to be better than no effort. And then, you know, just refine it to what fits your, your process the best. And then Brad, now, Matterport, how did that come into play? Maybe walk through, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you mentioned the Matterport. I think that's where you and I got on this QR code conversation uh, up in Boston was uh, on the Matterport scans. You know, for those of y'all that don't know what Matterport is, uh, if you see the real estate listings where you can click and walk through a home, um, that's what we're referring to. And, you know, historically, we would I would take my phone and I would just make a video and walk through the house. Um, and then, you know, I'd save these videos and... Uh, you know, try and text them out to trades and, oh, the file's too big. It won't send. And <clears throat> so one day I was uh, just thinking like, man, this, I could do this real estate scan. And obviously there's other guys like yourself that are doing it. But so we reached out to a local real estate photographer and they came in and we do it just before installation. So you can see all your wires, pipes, um, framing, and they come in and they do these, uh, do these scans and, and then they send you the file. You can Turn around and email that out to, uh, you know, all your trades, your customer, if you do or don't want to. Uh, that could get tricky, but, um, <clears throat> you know, send it out to everybody. And uh, they've got a great app on your phone where you can, I mean, gosh, you can even pull measurements from it. And, uh, man, it's super valuable. And, again, we put that in a QR code. And then, you know, your cabinet installer's on site and he's wondering, hey, is that a stud or, or a waste pipe? You know, well, he can pull up the scan and know exactly what's there. I love that you're doing this. And so truth be told, you know, I can't take the full credit. So I had Casey Cloward with Raycon, right, in Utah. And he had posted a video in Utah um, of doing his home. So he's doing the Matterport. And as you mentioned, you know, in real estate, it's pretty common that a home tour, and you saw this a lot through COVID too, where it really took off, where people couldn't go to like a formal open house in certain states and certain areas. And so you could do the full 3D tour as if you're there in person. I mean, of course, it's a little different because it's digital, but for the most part, you get a you know, it contextualizes not just like photo where we can't really understand the layout of the house, but through video, you know, walking through. And what you showed me is the measurement side, which is super valuable. And we do a lot of ICF construction, right? Where it's concrete exterior walls, wood framed interior. 
And the measurement is super beneficial. And we found that now, you know, through the connection of Casey and just in speaking with you that is doing as well, we love that the industry is going this way because in fact, we're cost plus and we put this as a line item. Our client is very aware. We send them the Matterport and it's super valuable because now, as you mentioned, when cabinet guys are back or finished trades, you know, they're able to go back, look at the Matterport, if drywall, which happens oftenly off good drywallers, but they tend to miss things, you know, as they're going through, they forget all the different boxes because they're complex builds. So it just happens. Yeah. We just had a client who uh, decided to move some sconces in the master bath. You know, they were going to be four sconces on the mirror wall of the master bath. And they decided that um, now that they were in the space, we really wanted the two outside sconces to be on the sidewall. And so we were able to pull up the scan and then along with the measuring tool, pull up and see that, you know, our blocking between studs, you know, we traced that wire and saw that it was just above that blocking. We can measure up to where that blocking is. And then, you know, what, what normally would have been probably two or three holes in the drywall. Now we just made our one hole for the sconce and there was nothing to patch or repair. And so, you know, it just paid for itself right there on, on that specific job. But, um, I feel like if looking back on on many other jobs, you can see where this would be so valuable. I mean, like you mentioned, Brad, if, if the drywall guys miss a receptacle and, uh, you know, your electricians are trying to tone it to find it, um, gosh, you, you pull it up, you measure it, and, and there it is. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are build a trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also build a trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple of features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Buildertrend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows, and they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And let me ask this just on the operations side. Is everything you build uh, built to suit or do you do any specs? The reason I ask is because I've had a lot of people that follow through social media and they're always like, Brad, can you do the final tour you know, or final video? And I haven't, I mean, on YouTube, you know, I'll do some final tours because the client's okay. But as far as like a full detailed Matterport showing everything, I, I don't because everything's built a suit. However, I will do, you know, like you at, at four-way before we drywall and send it to the client so they have a copy. You know, how often are you showcasing the final product or is it just, you know, at frame stage? I haven't done it uh, at the final product. Um, 
thinking about doing it on a couple. You know, normally we have, we try and get a photographer in. I mean, right now with the delays on products, you know, your homeowners are, are beating on the door trying to get in uh, right when you get the O. So then, you know, you, you may not have time to get that photographer in there. But, um, you know, we try and we normally try and get a photographer in for some detailed shots and, um, you know, a little bit more wide frame. So I think the Matterport, um, it, it would be cool at that point. For us, it's not quite as valuable as some of the up-close detail shots that a skilled photographer does. But, um, man, it's just such cool technology. Uh, for us, it's not incredibly expensive at all. Um, it, it's it's been extremely valuable on the front end. So going back to the management side, uh, you mentioned this earlier that part of the reason that you had looked at hiring people was to start focusing on the business. With, without going like we don't want to air all of the dirty laundry, right? Because I'm sure I have plenty too of mistakes and issues as we're trying to fix. You know, just so many things as operation. It's just construction's complicated. Management's complicated, you know, our industry and supply chain and labor force. I mean, we have a lot of variables all of us are dealing with that really are, are just hard to put our arms around. Were there some things that you're looking at that, hey, I'm, I'm doing great as a sole proprietor, you know, building my business, but here's some carriers I want to focus on. And by hiring someone, I can now focus on these to help, you know, refine my process at, you know, Crow Build Homes. I, I would say it's definitely um, the accounting side for the business. Now, I've got a great process of, of keeping up with the accounting for each bill. You know, I mean, for the most part, everything is open book. You know, we send our clients reports that they see every single penny where it's going. Um, but knowing your numbers uh, as far as, you know, your markup and your margins and all of your overhead and, uh, gosh, being prepared when the tax man comes knocking, you know, learning all of that. Um, that's the tricky part, man. You could be the best tile installer in the country, but that doesn't mean that you know how to run a business. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I don't want to say the building the homes are easy, but, um, you know, at this point, building the home is the easier part, but managing the client and, <clears throat> you know, making sure that, that you're managing, uh, payroll and, and all the many expenses of running a business, that, that's the part that, um, I've really had to put more time into and needed a little less time on site doing doing the tasks that I don't necessarily need to be doing. So what do you use for accounting software, if you don't mind me asking? We're using QuickBooks. <clears throat> and then when you're using QuickBooks, and, and every market's different, uh, when, when you're billing, are you billing multiple times a month, once a month? I mean, how are you keeping you know, the draws consistent you know, with your clientele? Um, sometimes it's multiple times a month. It kind of, it kind of varies, uh, from the client, you know, some of our clients are, are cash based and they may just give us bigger sums less often. Uh, that way they're not dealing with it. And, you know, again, we're totally open with exactly, you know, what's been spent, what their balance is. Um, you know, it's in our contract, our, our payment terms. So if, you know, if we incur a lot of expenses within, two weeks. I mean, maybe it's, uh, you're finishing up all your mechanicals as well as all your windows and doors are going in, you know, you're getting a lot of bills quickly. So, you know, we'll send that account report over, um, showing what to do. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't care if it comes from the bank or if you dig a mason jar in the backyard, you know, it's, it's, um, it's our responsibility to build the home, but it's not, you know, necessarily our responsibility to, to be the bank for you and to fund that build. So, um, we just try and stay as transparent as we can and, and send reports over as needed. Do you ever struggle with when there's banks involved and maybe I'll apply it to like Arizona, a lot of them are pretty strict that they only allow a certain amount of draws uh, or they charge a client per draw after that. Or, you know, I've even worked with some banks here in Phoenix that they only, they have a rule that they can only do one draw every 30 days. So it doesn't matter if you're trying to expedite it. You know, how do you circumvent or work around with the different banks? Just the complexity that that angle brings into the business. Man, that's tough. Uh, it's extremely hard, and that's where you know setting the expectations up front with our clients um, is super important. Uh, it's something that we learn on every single build. You know, you learn something new. You're always uh, adding something to a checklist here or there. But um, you know, we've worked with a bank once that told us, "Hey, you get six inspections, meaning six draws, and that's it." 
And, um, <laughs> you know, you got a 12 month. And bill. you're like, how am I supposed to build a house? Yeah. Yeah. If you're building a house over 12 or 18 months and you have six trials, like how are you supposed to make that work? Right. Um, and you know, they didn't, <clears throat> they didn't do a great job of communicating that with us, uh, prior to the closing of that loan. And, you know, we, we can't necessarily decide who our clients are getting their loan with, you know, um, after that one, I definitely learned <clears throat> on how to manage <laughs> that process better um, because that was that was a headache. You know, it's not that the clients um, didn't have some available funding, but I mean, Brad, as you know, all these loans are uh, heavy on the back end. So you may have, you know, $100,000 in framing and the bank's going to give you 75 uh, and something's got to make up that gap. And so, you know, we're just... Uh, very upfront with our clients on on how that process works, making sure that the bank um, informs them well on, on their process. And for the most part, um, they're all letting us do as many inspections as needed and just um, charging an additional fee for each one, which is, is pretty minimal. I think it's, you know, it's probably in between $100 and $200, depending on what bank it is. Right. And, and, and I think most banks are somewhat favorable to that, you know, if there's additional draws, cause there's more paperwork for them and they have to accrue for that manpower, right. Or, or, you know, time from the bank side to process it all. Going back to that, if you don't mind me asking, you know, especially, I think most of us, I, I can relate to that example because in my business, you know, there's things you just don't know what you don't know as a business owner, right. And run a new company. And so you have these, I don't want to call them mistakes, but you have these issues that come up. And you're like, well, mental note, right? But I'm putting this in my right. SOP and my operating procedures. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that I may not be the one finding the bank. I may refer my client, but at the end of the day, before they sign those banking docs, I'm going to read through them, which we do now, same as you. And mm-hmm. case in point, we had one just recently that they were about to sign and they had six draws. I'm like, guys, how, how am I supposed to like build this house when there's going to be a year and a half, 18 month build and you're giving me six draws? So being that you're, you know, you're fixing that now, but going back to that time, how did you address address that billing wise? I mean, just the complexity of working through a project where you only have six draws. You know, I don't know that we addressed it the best way, but uh, <laughs> you know, we um, we you know we were just I love very the honesty. Up- it's so true. Well, I mean, you know, everybody makes mistakes. It's just that uh, some of our mistakes seem to be a little bigger because of the the you know price of the jobs. But um, <laughs> you know, we're just very open with our yep. clients and and they were kind of blindsided and, and they knew they were like, gosh, how can you do that? And so, you know, they, they moved some money around because in the end, our, our contract states that they are responsible for, for the funding, you know, yes, most people do have a construction loan, but that's at the benefit of the client. And, um, because again, we can't control exactly who they're funded with. I guess we could say no, but, um, you know, that's, that's not always the case. So, you know, that client kind of, work some things around to free up a little bit of money. And, and we talked to a couple different vendors and, and made sure that they knew, you know, Hey, we've got a good track record and, and this is, this is what the situation is. You know, we put some money out of our pocket, but um, I mean, gosh, when you're working with some of these numbers, it's just not feasible. If you've got four or five homes going and each one of them is, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in the hole. I mean, you're not going to have, no, nobody wants to have 500 grand out of, of their own money that is, um, you know, out there for clients. So, um, and, and again, that's not what we're agreeing to when we agreed to build a home. So it's tricky. <clears throat> we're learning every build, like you said, Brad, I mean, especially with, uh, the changing environment right now. I mean, one thing that we're experiencing is just be very open with the lender. You know, we're having to order, um, light fixtures and, and different finished materials extremely early because we don't know when they're coming in. And uh, as long as we're providing invoices, most of the banks are releasing more money. Um, you know, in general, uh, for those of y'all that don't know, they're not going to release any funding until that product is installed, not just on site, but installed. And, you know, if we're having to order lights eight months before they're going to be installed, um, you know, somebody's got to pony up and pay for that. And, and the bank understands they want the house to be finished. It, it does the bank no good to have an uh, incomplete home. And they also understand that prices are, are fluctuating all the time. So um, most of, especially the local banks, but most of the banks that uh, 
we've worked with, with our client to have been very good about releasing some funding early. It's interesting. I mean, you mentioned the comment that in your contract, you know, you, you specify that the, the client <clears throat> is responsible for the funding. I haven't read my contract in a while, so it's going to make me want to go back after this podcast now and go read my contract and see what I have in there for that, you know, that verbiage. And maybe I'll ping you after, but going back to it, you know, how do you handle options? And, and I'll speak how I do it, you know, so for like options upgrades, this is one that's always tough, right? Because uh, whether the client's cash or whether the client is with the bank, a lot of times there's, the reality is we have everything decided before we break ground, but the clients make a lot of changes. I mean, they just do because they may travel and see something or have a new idea. And I'm always clear with them in the beginning that, hey, we have our contract that uh, just say it's a hundred grand, right? For, for the build. And any change orders you do, so if you're doing change order one, two, three, and one's five grand and one's seven, like we have them pay 100% cash up front. So when they sign and execute the change order, even if we're at frame stage and it may be like a tile upgrade, right? They're funding that check in advance. And what that's done, that's, you know, there has to be some trust from the client side that we're going to perform. But for the most part, it allows us the cash flow. And then, of course, I don't have to worry to get to the end of the project and the client's like, I don't have the funds or, you know, I'm in a different position financially or my company or, you know, the whatever with the bank, like everything's covered. I know that the bank's clear on what they're funding. And then I have the nest egg, if you were the escrow account for the option money that they paid. I mean, how are you working through upgrades and options throughout the build? So Brad, that, that's an area that, that we definitely have to improve. And I love the process that, that you speak of that y'all do. You know, uh, we normally don't have all selections done up front. I would say that probably most of your guests are, are, are on my side of the fence there. Uh, I, I don't know how you can do that. And that's super impressive that you do. But, um, <clears throat> you know... <laughs> You just got to communicate well and and um, make sure that they understand. Hey, this is what we budgeted for, and and this is where we think we're coming in. The the other part that's really hard is a lot of those decisions being made on site while the trade is there, and you, you know they want to get them put in right then. And so for the time to get that change order put together, sent over, signed off, and and that money paid, um, you know that that's how long is that delay and. And now that trade has left maybe on another job and, and getting them back to to execute that that change order, um, that can be tricky. So I, I, we're again, that's something that we're refining on every every project because, you know, there have been times where, you know, clients have made changes and we get there and we say, OK, well, this is here's the invoice for for that change order. Um, this is where it came out. And then, you know, oh, well, I, I don't have that money right now. You know, and um, <clears throat> that gets a little difficult. But uh, when you stop the work on site because it's not being funded as it was agreed to in the contract, they tend to change tune. Uh, it's not that we want to do that, but <clears throat> you know, if you're in the hole, if you owe us a good chunk of money, and and you know, we, we can't continue to incur costs on site if you're not settling up on your end. I totally agree. And another tough thing, I, I don't know how often you've dealt with this, but we intentionally have clients that come in and are pushing retention, right? And whether it's the client that has done commercial projects and they're familiar with that, or whether their lawyers you know, push it on them as they go to the contract, hey, we need to have retention. And this is something I've always struggled with because uh, going back to your example, so I, I do commercial and residential, right? And, and lately it's been a lot more heavy sided on the residential side, but early on we did a lot of commercial. And retention is very common, but what's different about commercial is, you know, we're doing projects that could be doing a restaurant or a brewery or a new build. And these are quick builds, right? You're four, six, seven, maybe eight months. I mean, rarely are you doing multi-year commercial unless it's a massive development, right? But at the level I'm doing as a small builder, you know, these are quick projects. And so re- retention's key because it protects, you know, as you're going through the build, it protects the developer. Um, also you're working with firms that are a lot bigger, like the mechanical company I'm hiring. I mean, they may have 250 employees, whereas residential, my mechanical guy may have like six, right? It's a totally different operation. So going back to you where I, early on in my career, going back to the six draw thing, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, retention, you know, early on, that's no big deal. And then it absolutely like just critically hurt the project and us too, because we were so far behind with retention and, you know, especially in the two-year build concrete guys waiting for his retention that in our contract was until the build was done and you're like 24 months. So getting trades to bid it, you know, getting a supplier base was really difficult. And now I've pushed back on that. I go to clients and I'm like, Hey, 
I can't have retention. These are small groups. Keep in mind, we're cost plus. We're billing in arrears anyways. We're billing every 30 days. You're inspecting the work. You're going to make sure it's done. So that check's already happening. And now I can, you're, you're going to get a better bidding base because people are going to participate because there's no retention. And you know, it's a two-year build. It's not, so, I, so without going into all explanation, you know, I have plenty of arsenal, right? Plenty of ammo now to explain and the client do. And fortunately, we haven't had retention in a while. Do you ever have clients, clients that push on that? No. Um, actually, I don't think I've had any uh, push on retention up front. You know, we make it very clear on um, like who our trade partners are, <clears throat> you know, what kind of businesses they run and what kind of business we run. You know, uh, you know, I think you and I both can stand by our, our track record with, and, and explain that to our clients that, hey, we wouldn't be running this successful business or have been in business for X number of years if, if we weren't doing things on the up and up. And, you know, a lot of the banks are going to hold, say, five or 10 percent um, at, at the end until they get the CO, which that form of retention um, sometimes may be difficult if if the uh, municipality is is holding your CO for whatever reason may be. Uh, we just had a pretty difficult one that were, I mean, just some really ticky tack items that, <clears throat> you know, we we had back orders and um, they were they were holding our CO for a couple of things and. You know that that extended out um, the amount of time that we had money out, and you know that's where you go back to your client and, and say, "Hey, you know this is this is what we agreed to contractually, and um, we got to make something work." And you know we're flexible, um, probably more flexible than we should be, probably you know to a fault. But um, <clears throat> I think every situation is a little bit different. And um, luckily, uh, we haven't had anybody want want to hold retention um, uh, up front during the build. And I, I just I don't see that as something um, we would necessarily agree to. But I guess it depends on the project and the circumstance. Yeah, don't agree to it. <laughs> just just my advice. It's tough. Right. And and the thing is, like, we can still do a great job. And and this goes back to the retention thing because the always sticking point is, okay, there's deposits and you know you're billing and then you know how do you figure out the punch list at the end? And I've been very adamant, especially at the early on, very similar to commercial. If if I'm building for you, Evan, and you're like, okay, Brad, well, I am holding your last payment. Maybe it's 200 grand. It could be a big number. And you have some paint touch up here, missing a piece of cabinet hardware here. My pool finish isn't done because you know the pool guys are behind and materials behind. So what we do is assign a value, right? So instead of retention, exactly. it's like, okay, Evan, well, that's a sign of value. If I, yeah, if I disappear and it costs you two grand to finish this, uh, th- all the paint touch-ups in the house, let's put a value of five grand. So you're beyond protected. Mm-hmm. And then you create this value. Okay, maybe you have $40,000 that were held back. You can fund me the 160, keep the meter going, right? Keep the progress going, keep the warranty intact. And then as we check the list off, then you fund each of those items. And so that's been another way where the client has a little bit of uh, uh, protection, if you will. We have some skin in the game and it's just, it, it, it's, it's made the punch just a lot more amicable in the end. Right. I think if you're reasonable and, and you both, uh, both builder and client, you know, put yourself in the other person's shoes. then I mean, that, that's, that's what we tend to do and, and tends to work best. But yeah, if you have, <clears throat> you know, two little ticky tack punch list items um, and somebody's wanting to hold six figures, that's, that makes it a little difficult. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I had, um, and this is years back. I had one client's final payment. I mean, it was a big amount. It was six figures, and we were back ordered on some light fixtures that were, you know, like five hundred dollars a piece. And it was an option. It was an add-on that they had added, anyways. But uh, and that was before I was collecting options up front. But bottom line is, we came to value, and they funded it. Um, going back to, you know, your your process, Evan, especially working through bidding and estimating, how are you bridging the gap of when selections aren't done? You know, are you creating allowances? I mean, how are you having the conversation of like plugging in dollars for costs so the client can get banking or funding or at least have a good idea of what the project will cost since not everything's decided? Yeah. So, um, you know, we start with a, like a new construction questionnaire that we'll send out to potential clients before we even start to put a number to things. Um, and, you know, it's got questions uh, regarding to what they want for, uh, you know, finishes and, and envelope and windows and just everything on how we're going to construct the home. And um, when we put the estimate together, um, 
you know, for the most part, a lot of those selections aren't done at that point. And so based off of that questionnaire and conversation and, and uh, inspiration pictures, we get them to send, um, you know, we can build our allowances off of that. Um, you know, if we do have exact selections, that's great. Um, but in all reality right now, that number's still going to change by the time you get to, to installing that, that product. So, you know, we put allowances in, we make it very clear um, with our clients, like what fits within this allowance. Um, and, and we build off of that, you know, uh, Brad, I'm sure you see it that, you know, I, I think Instagram and, and Pinterest and all these uh, different means of clients being able to, to get inspiration is they're great in one aspect, but in the other, you know, you may have uh, a client with a, a $2 million budget and they're sending you um, details from a $10 million home. And, you know, that's what every one yeah. of their inspiration pictures is. And, you know, everything adds up. Um, and, and that's why I love the, the, the cost plus method and, and just being totally transparent and letting them see every single number. Um, that way, you know, if they see that bottom line and they think, oh my gosh, it's such a big number, but then they see, you know, uh, the hundred line items that, that make up that estimate and you point and say, Hey, wh which one of these do you think is out of line? And, and normally the answer is no, they're, they're all, they all look good. So, um, it's just being, being open and transparent, setting those allowances to where, you know, you know, design changes throughout the build. Um, it, the, the house gets framed and the windows go in and, and they see the lighting and they decide on, you know, uh, a different tile and, um, so that's where we can say, Hey, this is what we allowed. And this is what that tile is going to cost. And it's, you know, going to be X number of dollars more and, and just trying to be, um, as transparent as possible and keeping that communication open. I can't think all sarcasm here of a time a client's ever had champagne taste on a beer budget. It's never happened, right? <laughs> no. I no, just laugh because it's like, it's just, you know, all of us do that. But the reality is it's like pricing change and market change. We see inspiration, but the, you know, we don't even, even some, of the pre-construction team. They don't understand the full cost of things. So you go on and you're like, well, this came back higher than it, you know, expected. What's interesting, you mentioned that you sent out this new question or a uh, new construction questionnaire to your clients. Uh, without going to specifics on that, the purpose of it, are you working, like, are you managing the design process, you know, from finishes to selections to architecture and drafting? Are you outsourcing that? How does that play a role? Because what's interesting, you, you did mention that you're going to ask them not just like finishes and but also construction types. So could be they maybe want an ICF house and you're going to have to know that for budget as opposed to wood frame. And so, you know, the purpose of that construction contract, it sounds like a lot of clients are probably going to you first, you know, through business development. Right. So uh, I guess it's kind of twofold. Um, you know, a lot of, I would say most of our clients have plans before they reach out to us. Um, I do like that in one aspect, but I also like to be a part of that um, process with the architect. And then uh, it's probably 50-50 whether they have a designer in place or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it helps kind of, even if they have a designer, um, you know, Brad, we get stuck in the middle. They've hired their architect because they love the vision of that architect and the product that architect puts out. And then they, they've hired us for kind of the same reason, but they normally give us uh, an investment constraint. And so we're kind of stuck in the middle of, hey, I've got to honor this architect and designer's vision, but I've also got to honor my client's investment constraint. And so, um, you know, it kind of helps uh, to have them tell me some of the things that they're looking for separate from what the designer says they want, because they may not always um, be the same you know, cost wise. And, and to be blunt, man, another question on that, on that questionnaire is, is what's your budget? What kind of investment are you willing to make? You know, that's, um, that's something that a lot of people don't want to divulge up front. And, and that kind of throws a red flag for me on, on the whole trust process because, you know, you've got to trust me throughout this process. And if you're not going to be honest up front with what your budget is, then, you know, this, this may not work great, but, you know, I mean, we get a, a lot of people that reach out, as I'm sure you do, that um, some are extremely realistic in, in their understanding of cost and, and some are not. And, um, you know, it takes it takes a lot of time to put an accurate estimate together to then find out that, you know, we're on two totally different pages as far as um, the investment they want to make in the home. So, 
it, it kind of heads that off. And then, like you said, I mean, we, we definitely have standards that we're going to build to um, with our structure and our envelope. But um, some clients may want even more as you speak to ICF or, or um, you know, whatever it may be. And that just gives them an opportunity to provide us with as much information, as much information as they can uh, for us to be able to just be as accurate as possible from the beginning. It's funny you say that because as you're, I, you know, I was, as you're speaking to that, we're totally on the same page, right? That, you know, for this to be a successful project, I, I can't have this cat and mouse game. Like if I understand what the budget is, now we can make sure we're designing to that and building to that. The, the owner can also hold you accountable, Evan, right? To make sure that you're going to be, you know, hopefully reasonably <laughs> close to that budget. But I think of it this way, you know, and this is where as you, you keep saying the word trust, which is very important and credibility and, you know, our reputation is super key on what we're delivering because if I were to go purchase a vehicle and I'm sitting there with the sell, you know, this car agent, well, how much you, what's your budget, right? To buy a car. You know, a lot of us are kind of leery on sharing that because who knows the funny business with like behind the scenes markup or, you know, mm-hmm. financing or, I mean, whatever's happening, right? It's just kind of this weird dichotomy. And most of us, you know, innately are maybe mistrusting or we're like, well, if I tell you my number, you're just going to build to it. And I'm not really getting any benefit, right? But if we can show and build this reputation, whether it's through social media and whether it's through our interactions and history and historical data and all this stuff, ideally the client's coming to us because, hey, Evan, you're a cost plus builder. I'm a cost plus builder. We're super transparent. We're going to hire good people. Like We're in this. And if we can build this rapport with the client, then they're going to be more prone to give us that number. And then now that's the true success. If we know the number, we can build together with the whole design team. Right. I mean, I think it, it saves a lot of a lot of time and stress and headache from everybody if, if i explain that hey man we're, we're open book you know it's it's all going to be right here in front of you there's not any funny business there's no hidden numbers you know if you're up front with me on on what you're willing to invest in this home then then let's uh let's design and build to that um you know it, that's where again it's just trust man just trust us we we've built a good um reputation and um, you know, when, when you're honest with us and, and we can design and build to that because we get put in a tight spot, Brad, you know, if we put allowances high enough to where nothing is over budget, well, then our bottom line may be out of their budget. But, um, you know, if, if yeah. we put our allowances, uh, extremely close and a little too low and okay, this number looks good. So we're going to win this job. And then everything comes in a little bit over budget. Um, you're going to have an unhappy client. So it, it's tricky, man. I'm not saying we nail it every time. Uh, we, we try, you know, I mean, I, I can honestly say that we have never gone in and, and priced a home, uh, just trying to win that home, you know, but, um, there are times when you, you definitely have to consider, Hey, we've, we've got to put a little bit lower allowance than, than what they're wanting, um, to be able to stay within the investment constraint that they're wanting to make. And what's interesting, you mentioned this to me, I know just preface is that again, going back to the trust thing, you had spoken about how CBSA allowed you to kind of forecast lumber. So even though your cost plus you're saving the money, you know, the client money, talk about that example of doing what's best by the client. And in the long run, right. It's the, it's that short-term gain for the client. That's going to be the long-term win for the project. Right. I mean, you know, our jobs are super stressful. Everything in life is stressful right now. So when I lay down at night, if I can close my eyes and tell myself, did I make the best decision for my clients with the knowledge I have today? And if that answer is yes, then you know what? I'll sleep pretty good at night. But I, I could not lay down and sleep if I knew that I made a decision that wasn't in my client's best interest. So, you know, with CBUSA, we've, we've got our lumber buys that give us extreme advantage uh, over other um, other builders on on our pricing and and the um, just the knowledge that's passed down from from the different analysts and buyers within uh, the group nationally and you know we've got a client we're working with now that you know we were we'd finished um, their foundation we're about to get their lumber dropped and we knew that lumber was was coming down on our our next true up the following month and so we went to the clients and said, hey, guys, I think that we can save, you know, maybe 20 grand if we hold off two weeks on on framing. And um, they agreed. And, you know, it turned out to be closer to like 35,000. 
um, which was unfortunately still over budget from the time we uh, signed the contract because lumber had gone up so fast. But, um, you know, if we didn't communicate with them and we didn't lean on our partners at CBUSA, you know, that I mean, that's 35000 real dollars that they would have spent for the exact same material uh, two weeks earlier. So, uh, you know, that's where the transparency and just looking out for your client is extremely important. I love that, Evan. I mean, what a, what a perfect way to like close the conversation is, you know, uh, by doing best for your client, going to bed at night, you know, just understanding that it's going to build that trust rapport that's going to help these projects be successful from the beginning. So outside of building, which takes up, I know a lot of your life, cause you're texting me all the weekend that you're out on the tractor, not working, you know, what do you do for fun? So, uh, man, spending time with the family. I've got, uh, two young kids and awesome wife and, um, you know, cat and a dog and, we live on five acres, and so we spend a lot of time outside. Um, love the outdoors. You know, if I can, if I can get away, it's going to be uh, probably hunting and fishing. But you know, that's that's been on the back burner with uh, with the kids, man. Just watching them grow up and and spending time with them. There's not much that beats that. I love that. Awesome. Well, it shows just in your personality and who you are. I mean, just those priorities. So, um, what's upcoming and exciting? Man, we've got some good projects upcoming. Um, some here local that uh, they're going to have some really great features and, and just phenomenal clients. Um, we've got a little feature coming in Southern Living Magazine in November. And uh, we're awesome. just going to keep pushing forward, man, trying to make sure that we're uh, doing the right thing for our clients. And, and hopefully I can step, uh, you know, what do they say? Work on your business, not in your business. So kind of focus on that a little bit. I think we're all trying to do that. So where can our listeners find you? Uh, y'all can find us on Instagram at Grow Built Homes, uh, Facebook, and uh, on Southern Living's website and uh, the upcoming issue in November. Well, thanks for joining us, Evan. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate all the insight. Thanks, Brad. It's been uh, great getting to know you here recently and just appreciate everything you're doing. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss and also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.